morning again, everyone. It really is a privilege to uh, be in the pulpit. It is a big responsibility. Um, I'm always encouraged that it's something God's called me to do. Um, but it's not an easy thing to do. And this morning, I'm trusting Him to help me share truth with you that will inspire you, challenge you. And we find ourselves in Mark chapter 6. Barry preached a wonderful message last week um, on the disciples going out two by two to preach the gospel. And we saw that Jesus called them to himself first, which speaks of intimacy, relationship. But then he sends them out, which speaks of mission and purpose. Both are necessary. Some are content to be busy for Jesus, but there's no intimacy with Him. Others claim intimacy, but yet they do nothing with regards to purpose. At SBC, our prayer for you as elders is that you would be hungry for Jesus, experiencing Him in an intimate, vibrant relationship that evidences itself in obedience to his word and his mission. And this morning you've heard testimonies of just those two things happening. They're the beginnings of answered prayer. People stirred to read God's word. People stirred to be on mission with Jesus. Lord, let this just be the beginning. Come and fill us with your spirit. Turn our hearts towards you. And help us live out what you give us to do. Much like our live ladies, the disciples had a successful, successful mission trip. God empowered them. He used them. And let's turn to Mark chapter 6 verse 30. And I'll read up to 50, 56. It's a long text this morning, but a lot happens. Powerful stuff. So Mark chapter 6 verse 30 to 56. It will come up on the screen. Um, thank you, thank you, Mark, for putting it on the screen for us. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, 
And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the, the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken the leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came, um, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored at the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garments. And as many as touched it were made well. I've entitled the sermon, A Long Day with Jesus. <laughs> And I think you can pick up from that text, a lot's going on, a lot has happened, um, most of it in, in just one day. The disciples return and tell Jesus everything that they had taught and done. They had preached the gospel, people had repented, they had cast out demons and healed the sick. One of the commentators I read made me smile, he said, and Jesus listened to them patiently. When, a, when people come back from a mission trip, it was so hard for Julie to do her debrief in one minute. If we had given Julie 15 minutes, she could have easily filled that time because you're so excited about what God has done and you just want to tell people. And I want to say to you, if you've got one of those people in your life, be patient and listen to them. Um, it'll be a blessing to you, but it's also good for them to um, process and get out everything that has happened. My poor wife has had to be patient many a time listening to me. But Jesus listens, but he perceives something in their excitement. He perceives that they are tired. When you come back from a mission trip, especially a long one where God's used you powerfully, often you're tired. I, I met with one of the ladies this week, and she just said, I've got the mission's blues. I'm finished. And probably all of them felt that way and needed an extra day's rest when they got back or maybe even more. And so Jesus looks at them and he says these powerful words. And we need to pay attention to these words in our day and age, 21st century Christian. He says to them, come away to a desolate place. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. My, how we need those words today. 
in our fast-paced world where we're always busy chasing our tails, never making any ground, constantly redlining, living in survival mode, pacifying ourselves on our phones, telling ourselves we deserve the break, but never really finding rest, only to do it all again and again and again. We need to hear the words of the Savior here, the wisdom here. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest. My first point this morning is the importance of rest. How are you doing in that area? We value work. We value productivity. I'm one of those people. I love it when I've got a busy week. I love it when I can point to all the things that I've done. I do not spot well when I need rest. My friends can spot it. It usually happens when I'm snapping at them. Um, I was snapping at Joe and Matt in a prayer meeting, so it's well placed. Um, we're in a prayer meeting and something, form of miscommunication, and I got offended, I got cross, and I didn't even pray the whole, we were there for an hour, I didn't pray once. And so it was hot, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve, so I, I don't want to have a conversation about this, but they chased me down into the office because they're my mates, Mark, let's talk about this, clearly we've offended you. And Matt perceived after a conversation, you need rest. Because I was overreacting. And maybe you can relate. And I pick it up with my kids sometimes. My kids will do the smallest thing. And I overreact. And then I do a self-check. Mark, where are you adding your rest? How are you doing? Are you redlining? Living in survival mode? You're going to hurt the people around you, the people you love. Listen to Jesus. Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. One of the busiest times of ministry in my life was when I was on a ship called the Dulos. Um, I was 19, left uh, East London. God called me to missions and went out in faith. And it was amazing. Saw God do a lot of miraculous things. The, the busiest time was when they sent me ahead of the ship to Greece. Um, the ship had never been to Greece before. It was uh, incredibly difficult to line everything up for the ship to come and we were smashed we were there for three months and it was 90 days of go 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 there was no opportunity to come away to a desolate place and rest and God did many miraculous things we were astounded but when it was over I was absolutely finished and my next assignment was on the horizon I had one week's rest on the ship, which is not coming away, or desolate. And, and then I was thrown back into the furnace of ministry. And the Lord knew I couldn't handle another grease. And He was kind. So He sent me to Croatia, to a city called Dubrovnik. And I saw 50 countries, and I'm often asked, Mark, what was the most beautiful country you saw like if you could advise me if I could pick a place and you've seen a lot where would you go and I would say to you those of you that are lining up your your rest um, and you've got the money and you want to go travel I want to say to you go do a bit of research on Dubrovnik Croatia it was the most beautiful stunning place I saw in all of my time on the ship and the best part was there were only two churches in the city. Now you might say, Mark, that's a strange thing to say, but when you are working for the ship, the busiest part of my job was meeting with churches and building relationships. 
And in one week in Dubrovnik, I'd met every single Christian and both churches. Another blessing was that for the first time in my two years of doing preparation for the ship, we didn't have a car. God always answered the prayer for the car. It was amazing. We would arrive, we would have nothing, we'd say, God, we need a car, and the car would come. It would come quickly. And for the first time in two years, it became expected. It wasn't even like, we didn't, sometimes we even forgot to say thank you. It was just expected. God will provide a car. And here we were in Dubrovnik, Lord, give a, please provide a car. And then you're like surprised a few days later. It hasn't come yet. So we'll pray again. And a few days later, it hasn't come yet. We'll pray. And I got confused. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I don't understand. You always provide a car to help us do the work. Why won't you provide a car? There I was, absolutely broken, in one of the most beautiful places in the world, with no churches and no car. And after a month, I was starting to feel really good. And I couldn't understand why. Then I realized Sunday used to be my busiest day. Sunday was not an off day for us. Saturday was the Sabbath we tried to take. Sunday, we visited church in the morning, church in the evening. We spent time with both churches in the afternoons, building relationships. It was our busiest day. But suddenly, Sunday was an extra off day. And I had two, I actually had a weekend. And when I had a car, I used to drive like a madman from meeting to meeting. Now, I'm going on two-hour walks every day. I need to get to the printer and I need to get to the graphic designer and I need to get, all these meetings still need to happen, but the only way I could get there was to walk and I was walking there and walking back and it was taking two hours every day. Feeling good. Had a lot of time to pray. My prayer life was soaring. God had sovereignly slowed down my life and I was resting. Praise God for unanswered prayer sometimes. These poor disciples had grafted hard and they were broken, so Jesus organized a holiday so they could rest. But the rest doesn't go according to plan. This is when the long day really starts. My, point, my second point this morning is this is a long day. You're going to feel sorry for the disciples by the time I'm finished. If you didn't pick it up when we read it, I'm going to help you see it. They are recognized and people run from everywhere and thousands are waiting for them when they arrive. Remember, the expectation for the disciples is we are coming to have a holiday. Let me help you if you're a friend of mine. Don't raise my expectations and then disappoint me. You d disappoint me, but don't first raise the expectations. It's much worse if I believe I'm going to get something or something's meant to happen and then it gets taken away. Um, so I just really feel for these guys. In this boat, feeling broken, Jesus has promised rest and you arrive and suddenly you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of people in front of you. What do you think they were hoping Jesus would do when they arrived? I mean, Jesus had just said, you guys need a rest. We need to prioritize rest. I've just done a whole point on how rest is important. I think they were hoping Jesus was going to go, not today. Today, my guys need to rest. 
you guys can go home. You can come back tomorrow. I really think that's what they were hoping Jesus was going to do. But what does it say? Jesus had compassion. Notice the disciples didn't have compassion. Jesus had compassion. He saw them and he saw that they had need and his heart is for people. Jesus is allowed to interrupt our rest because he is God. He can give strength to the weary. We must trust him when he interrupts our rest because we have to be obedient and we have to trust him. He knows what he's doing. And as we're going to see in this case here, often he wants to show us something when he's interrupting a rest that we can only really learn when we are broken and challenged. He's the ultimate strategist. He has not forgotten the state of his disciples. And don't think he doesn't know what he's going to do later. He is setting things up here in a big way. And he is training the future leaders of his church. He only has one year left with him. In a year's time, he dies on the cross. This is a big day. He will refer back to this day multiple times in his ministry. And the only story recorded in all four Gospels, other than the crucifixion, so there's only two things recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only say two things, all of them. The first is the crucifixion. Obviously, that is super important. All of them talk about the crucifixion. The second one is the feeding of the 5,000. Happens in every story. No gospel writer leaves it out. This is a big day for Jesus and his disciples. Don't think it undermines the rest, though. When, when Jesus interrupts their rest, it's not because he doesn't think the rest is important but he's going to do something even more important now. And Mark doesn't mention it, but in John chapter 6, and it should come up on the screen, verse 5 to 7, I'll turn there so I can read it too. Um, John mentions a detail that Mark hasn't mentioned, so I want you to see this detail. I think it's important for the point I'm going to try and make. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? I'm asking you, at what point in the day are we now? He hasn't started teaching yet. He's looking at the crowds, and he's already posed the question, what are we going to feed these people to one of the disciples? In Mark, we don't see that. We just see Jesus starts teaching. But he has posed a question to one of the disciples, what are we going to do to feed these guys? And Philip's answer is, um, even if we had 200 denarii, which is almost a year's worth of wages, we would only be able to give a bit, little bit of crumbs to each person. 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. This is impossible, Jesus. We don't have this money, and... Even if we had it, we would only be able to provide a morsel. And as we see in Mark, Jesus poses this question to Philip, doesn't answer the question, asks him the tough question. Philip gives Jesus an answer he doesn't like. He is testing him. Philip has not passed the test. And now Jesus goes, we're in afternoon here, 
early afternoon, late morning, and Jesus starts to teach. Let's stay with Philip for a second. What do you think he's doing? Finding the other disciples? Jesus just asked me how these guys are all going to eat. I don't know. What do you think? Well, we don't know either. Well, he came up with the question, and he seems pretty comfortable right now because he's just moved on with things, so he's got it. I'm sure he's going to have something figured out when he stops teaching in the next hour. Five hours later, Jesus still teaching. Seemingly unconcerned uh, with the initial problem, which has now escalated. With every passing sentence, the problem escalates. Because we don't just have a problem of resources, we also have a problem of time. And the sun's now going down, and we're in a desolate place. And Jesus is going on and on and on and on. And finally, the disciples in interrupt Jesus and say, Jesus, it's getting late. These people do need to eat. <laughs> Send them away. <laughs> let them solve their own problems. Don't let their problems become our problems. After all, Jesus, this is a desolate place. Remember, you said desolate place so we could rest. Let's just... Let's just send them away and we can rest. And Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. Oh, I just imagine these faces. Crestfallen. And the blame shifting. If I was standing there, I told Joe in the office, I would have thrown Joe under the bus. If Joe and me were there, I would have thrown him under the bus. I would have said, Jesus, Joe didn't tell us that you said we must feed them. Joe wasn't listening. He was probably playing fantasy football on his phone. He wasn't listening properly to your instructions. We didn't realize. This isn't my fault. Joe's fault. I'm sure all the disciples pointed in Philip and go, Philip, you didn't say we must feed them. We had time a few hours back. I don't know how we would have solved it, but now we don't even have time. How can we possibly solve this problem now? But Jesus is testing them. And none of them are passing. Philip didn't pass it five hours ago. Five hours ago sound like American for a second. And no one's been able to figure it out since. So he says these powerful words to them. I don't think I've got it on the screen, so I want you to have a look. It's in uh, verse, uh, let me find it. Verse 38. So he says to them, in answer to this problem, their best solution after hours and hours of discussion is just send them away. Jesus says to them, go and see. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Stop complaining. Stop coming up with these uh, plans that do not involve what I'm trying to teach you. Go and and see what you have. And they go into the crowd. How many people are there? We don't know. We know there's 5,000 men. But today, in this room, there's probably 150 people, and there's less men than anyone else. And in my family, there's one man so far, hopefully, um, and two kids and a wife, so one out of four. And I think they had more kids than we typically have. I think there's at least 20,000 people there. Probably more. 5,000 men. And Jesus says, go amongst them and see what you can bring. I can just see a glimmer of hope emerging. Like, okay, 
He has thought of something. Maybe, maybe they do have stuff. Maybe we're going to be okay. Maybe this problem isn't as big as we, we thought it was going to be. And can you ima- like imagine them going out now into the crowd asking, hey, did you, did you think you came out here all day? You spent all day in the sun. Did you think to bring lunch? No. Did, did you think to bring lunch? No. And to come back from asking 20,000 people, how many of you thought to bring lunch? And the answer is one. One person brought lunch. Jesus, you won't believe this, but only one person brought lunch. And I'm slowing the story down for you on purpose because we're too familiar with it. Matt spoke about familiarity being a problem two weeks ago, and it's true. Because you know what's going to happen, because you've heard the story many times before, you're losing the awe and the wonder of this moment that Jesus is setting up. Because this is a ridiculous impossibility we are in epic fail territory we have five bagels two sardines and 20,000 blockheads who didn't think to bring lunch and they give this paltry amount of stuff to Jesus And he blesses it, and he divides it, and he gives it back to the disciples. That's important. Notice how involved the disciples are. They're involved in going and looking and finding, getting it and bringing it. It might sound simple and insignificant, but it's still important. And then even after Jesus performs the miracle, they're involved in delivering it to everyone. But the miracle doesn't end after they all eat and are satisfied. It says that. They all eat and are all satisfied. Remember how much a year's worth of wages would have fed them. One little crumb. But they all eat and are satisfied. And then they collect 12 baskets of leftovers. One for each disciple to carry. As a reminder of what God can do. There's a lot I want to teach you from that story, but I'm going to save it for application because sometimes we stop there and we think this is the end. But this is not the end of the day. The day is going to continue, and Jesus is not satisfied that they've learned anything yet, actually. And he's about to test them again. So a long day, and my last point becomes a longer night. The disciples finally get their rest after Jesus dismisses the crowd. That's what they're thinking. Yes, he dismisses the crowd, has done this amazing miracle. Yay, we can finally rest. And Jesus says to them, immediately he made, he made his disciples climb in a boat. He didn't say climb in the boat or if you want to climb in the boat. That meant he told them to climb in the boat and they wouldn't do it. They did not want to get into the boat. They wanted to rest. They did not want to climb in the boat now this late with no rest and head back uh, across the seas. Sailors, I, I sailed a little bit for a few years. You get a sense of the water when you've been on it a lot. You can tell when it's going to go badly. When the storms are on their way, you, it, something starts to stir when you're out 
when you're out at sea. They do not want to get in the boat, and he makes them get in the boat. These poor guys. Don't ever say, have you ever said this? Oh, wouldn't it have been great to be there when Jesus fed the 5,000? Wouldn't it have been great to be there to see Jesus walk on the water? We over-glamorize these things. Wouldn't it be great to sail around the world on a ship and see 50 beautiful countries and you're in that ship smashing rust 40 hours a week and you've got no energy to ever get out. I, people said, you saw the world. I saw 50 harbors. They all look the same. <laughs> if you over-romanticize this thing, you get dropped. These guys are in a boot camp. They are getting smashed. Jesus has got small time with them and he is... a uh, master teacher and he's drilling them because that's how you learn he's the ultimate Mr. Miyagi for those of you that like Karate Kid they didn't want to get into the boat they were tired the people were finally gone and Jesus had promised rest now Jesus makes get into a boat and tells them to go to Bethsaida and what does he do? He goes up onto the mountain and rests. My favorite part of the Karate Kid is when Mr. Maggi hands a paintbrush to Daniel and says, paint my fence, paint my house, paint my deck, do all my work and he walks off with the fishing rod to go fishing. And because we don't understand what Mr. Miyagi is doing, we feel like, man, he's a real piece of work. Poor Daniel. But Mr. Miyagi is preparing Daniel for a big tournament. And when it's revealed how he's preparing him, that's the best part of the movie. And Jesus is giving these guys a masterclass in faith. He's getting them ready. They force into a boat, already exhausted, and they end up in a storm making no headway, for the wind was against them. Making no headway. Have you ever rowed and got nowhere? Not because of my skill as a rower. I have little strength and little skill. Anita almost didn't marry me. We were, we, she said, uh, what would be fun if we get into a little uh, canoe boat and uh, we were young adults and let's all go together somewhere. So this was three months before I asked her to marry me. Luckily I timed it right because if I asked her three months earlier she would have said no. So we're in this canoe boat and we're rowing and we row into the wind and we get nowhere for about half an hour and I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting, I say to her, love, let's pull this thing over to the mud over there and we start, we pick it up and we are trudging through this mud with this canoe and I'm not a happy camper. And the best part is, while we're doing that, we look to the side and another couple with the uh, girl in the back doing nothing, coasting along flying past, smiling and waving at us. These poor guys are out in this boat making headway painfully and Jesus can see them. It's not that he's unaware. He's up on the mountain, he's looking down and he can see them. And what did he do? He waits longer. Because they started rowing when the sun went down. But Jesus only goes out to them in the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. They may well have been out on that water for nine hours, getting nowhere, and Jesus can see, I'll wait a little bit longer. You're not yet ready. 
for what I want to show you. They've rode all night. They've got to nowhere. This was the most powerful thought I had. Getting passionate and I need to wind things up. I am amazed that they didn't turn back. They are exhausted. In a boat they do not want to be in. Getting nowhere. For hours and hours and hours. But they didn't turn back. That moves me. As I sit in my boat and face my storm, going in the direction Jesus told me to go, these men who are so slow to learn what Jesus is teaching them inspire me to pick up my oar and keep going. And Jesus walks on water at the right time. When he discerns the time is right now, he walks on water. And then I love it. It says he makes as if to pass them by. He's not even walking to them. He's, he's doing what the couple did in the boat. <laughs> I see you guys really suffering over there. I'm just going to mosey on to the other side. See you there. And they cry out. Some of us need to cry out to God in the storm. He does see you. But it's only when they cry out that he comes to them. And as soon as he sits in the boat with them, it's calm. And there they sit, in the calm, surrounded by 12 bread baskets, but still having hard hearts. They still don't understand who he is. Isn't that amazing? God can do miracle after miracle after miracle. This was one of the most action-packed miracle days that Jesus did. And at the end of the day, their hearts were still hard. You know, when Karen shares her story, many of us will drive past that same uh, situation and our eyes won't be opened to what God's doing. She's got a, that's God's grace to her, so I'm not praising her. God has softened her heart to see what He is doing. And her heart's response in that moment is worship and praise. Many of us will drive past what God is doing, miracles that God is doing, and we won't see it. We won't realize it because our hearts are hard. And I want to wrap things up with this application. Friends, there's so much to chew on this morning. I'm going to shoot through these things and trust the Holy Spirit to uh, reveal to you what's for you. The first thing we need to take seriously is Jesus' instruction about rest. He is allowed to interrupt our rest, but we are not. Too often we interrupt our own rest because we prioritize work. That's dangerous. If Jesus interrupts your rest, he will sustain you, and he will use you as he interrupts, and he will do something in your life as he is doing in the life of the disciples here. But don't interrupt your own rest. We need to get away far more often than we do, and be with Him. Be in a desolate place, away from people. When I go and leave, I need to get out of East London because you find me. You do. It's amazing. This thing goes off the most on my off day. You don't even know when it is, so you're not doing it on purpose. But on my off day, I get the most phone calls. When I'm on leave, the most kind of stuff happens. And the only way out of that is to go to Paris. I tried this, and there's no network. And I'm in a desolate place. 
away from you. Just for a short time. I love you guys. <laughs> Have you planned leave? Make it happen. Put it in the calendar and do it soon. Mine is set for early November. When's yours? What about the loaves and the fish? Do you understand? Do you understand? He was testing their faith, and he likes to test ours as well. He doesn't want you to respond the way they responded. Their response to his problem was to solve it on their own. He doesn't want that from us. They showed no faith in their response to him. What did he want them to say? He wanted them to say this, Jesus, you are God. We see who you are. Nothing is impossible for you. You can make a way for these people to eat food here, even though we don't know how it's going to happen. That's faith. That's the answer he wanted them to say. Not, well, it's going to take 200 denarii to feed all these people and we don't know where to go and water, water, water. And if you want an example of the kind of faith he's looking for in Scripture, there is one. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to read the story to you. You're familiar with it. What kind of faith was he looking for? We see this faith in the centurion. Then The centurion who's not even an Israelite. He's a pagan. He's an unbelieving, not connected, but he, he sees who Jesus is. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, will you heal my servant? And Jesus says, and the servant is in another town. And Jesus says, yes, I will come. And Jesus starts walking with, to go there. And the centurion stops him. And the centurion says, you don't have to do that. Because I am a man in authority. And I speak to one of my servants and I tell him, go and do this. And he does it. I don't need to do it. He does it. I don't need to go. He goes. And because I can see who you are, and I can see the authority that you have, I'm going to solve the problem from here with faith and say, Jesus, you don't even have to come. Just speak the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus says, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Someone who's able to see me, who I am, and understand that I can do anything and solves the problem with that truth. Don't have to even walk with me. No one had modeled that. He hadn't seen Jesus heal someone from another town yet. He just believed Jesus could do it. And the disciples are needing to see things happen over and over and over and over. And, and we like to say, if I could just see it, I'll believe it. Guys, I want to say to you, that's nonsense. I want to say something scary to you, especially if you haven't yet given your life to Christ. If you are saying that you need to see to believe, the danger for you is this. One day, God will show himself clearly to everyone. That will happen. This thing that the atheists are asking for, will he just show himself? Then we will believe. The, the truth is, it's going to happen. That day is called Judgment Day. He reveals himself and everyone sees him. And then they will believe. They will bow their knee and cry out, You are God. But the day of judgment is too late. We are living in the day of faith. Faith is God's grace to you to say, will you choose to believe without seeing? 
He's testing your faith all the time. In my own household, it happens like this. My parents are getting old. I need to take care of them. My brother's got a mental illness. I need to take care of him. I've got two small kids. Um, we, how are we going to do all it? it? It looks like there's the snowball, the storm just coming. That's impossible to know how to solve. And if I try and figure it out all on my own, I'll give up. But in that moment, I go, you're in my life. You are in control. And even though I don't know how this all gets solved, my hope's in you. You can do it. That's faith. It's not, first show me how you're going to provide the money, Lord. Or first show me how you're going to heal my brother. Or first show me how you're going to heal. It's, I trust you. Even though this looks like a mess, you can fix it. And my hope's in you. That's the faith Jesus is wanting from us. He didn't get it from them. God wants to use you, church. He wants you to come with what you've got. The little bit of faith that you have. You don't need big faith. You just need to come with what, go and look what you have and come with it. Go to him. He will bless you. He will use you. Stop waiting for more. Stop waiting for someone else to show up with lunch to add to yours. Go with what you have. What about the storm? How, uh, Howie, Laurie. Laurie shared in his prayer time about this. How do you think this is for some of you? Are you in a storm, friends? Do you notice that the storm the disciples are in in the story is one they are sent into by God? They tried everything they could do to not be in that storm. Just because you're in a storm doesn't mean that it's your fault that you've made a mistake. Sometimes God sends you into the storm. You might be where you are because God told you to be there and now it's really hard and you want to pack it in. Don't do that. You might not be able to see him in the storm, but he sees you. They couldn't see him, but he saw them. And they didn't know he was near. And it might feel like that, but he sees you. Cry out to him. He will come. If he hasn't come yet, trust him. He always knows what he's doing. When you are at the end and you have nothing left, there he will be calming everything down for you, helping you go on. And did you notice that the storm blew them off course? Jesus said in the beginning, get in the boat, go to Bethsaida, and then at the end, where did they land up? Gennesaret. Wrong place. Not the place Jesus said go to. They never got where they were intending to go. They ended up in the wrong town, but it didn't matter. Because Jesus was with them. Who is with you is far more important than where you are. I want to say that again because too many of you are knocking on a door to get out of here because you don't like it and you're not actually seeking God and asking Him what He's saying. Maybe He is saying go and then He will lead you and open. I'm not saying don't pursue it. I'm just saying are you listening to Him? Because it may be that you end up in a place different to where you're intending to go. And the question you've got to ask is not the destination, it's, is he with me? That's the question. Because if he's with you, you're okay wherever you are. In 2013, Anita and I went to Amman. God told us to go to Amman. We tried everything we could do to stay there. Somehow, we ended up here. It was not our intended destination, but it matters not because Jesus is with us. 
We have been so blessed by God since we went off course. The course he told us to go on, by the way. He is using us right where we are. Stop standing at a closed door when God has opened the one next to it. Go with him. You'll be okay. And the last thing I want to say to you this morning is you'll never understand who God is with a hard heart. You can read the whole Bible cover to cover, but if your heart is hard, you won't hear him speak. He can do miracle after miracle, but if your heart is hard, you won't see him. You can come here week after week and listen to sound teaching, hopefully, but unless God does the miracle of softening your heart, you are done for. Friends, we need to pray for soft hearts. We need to repent of our pride. We need to get to the end of ourselves, as happens to the disciples in the story, so that when we finally call on him, we'll see that we need him. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we want to say to you, thank you for the wonderful work that we do see you doing in in our church, Lord. That's your grace to us. Thank you for when you open up our eyes and we can see you at work. And so I want to pray, Lord, for those that are struggling to see that, that are sitting here feeling like you're distant, feeling like you're not involved, they're not hearing you. Maybe they're struggling in a storm and feeling completely alone. Lord, I want, I want to pray that you would come in the power of your Spirit and reveal yourself to them. That you would soften their hearts and you'd speak to them. That they would call out help to you and that you'd come and sit with them. And when you solve their problems again and again and again, Lord, they wouldn't be like the disciples who just sit in the boat with hard hearts and don't understand, but that you'd give grace to them to see that you are who you say you are. Lord, may we come to you with whatever you've put in our hands and let you use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The worship team is going to take us home with one song. Let's stand and worship.
Thank you for coming this morning. Thank you, worship team. Wonderful songs. Thank you, Woody, for the word. The encouraging thing for me is that uh, the Jesus wasn't finished with the disciples. And he's not finished with us as well. So let's pray. Father, we, we honor you. We glorify you. We give you great thanks for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, there are times and we ask that you forgive us when our hearts are hard, hard Lord. There are even times when we are filled with unbelief and doubt. There are times when our faith is uh, at uh, sub-zero, Lord but you remain faithful and we give you thanks for that so continue to work in our lives continue to to inspire us lord continue to bring revelation and understanding continue to fill us with your wonderful and glorious spirit our hearts are open lord this morning our hearts are open this morning May we go with your blessing till we meet again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, fortunately the word.